Did you know you can now register for the 7th Annual Osmosis Con taking place October 10th to the 12th, 2021 at the Bahia Resort Hotel, San Diego? We have exciting news. You'll now be able to attend this renowned event in person in San Diego or virtually through a dynamic online community. Cynthia Hetherington and the HG Group consistently deliver the best training at this open source intelligence skills building conference, and this year is no exception. You can learn more at osmosiscon.com. I want to talk to everybody today about scopenow.com. Scopenow has been a big time sponsor of this program for quite some time, and I just love their service. I've been using them since the beginning. I'm one of their beta customers and uh, it's been so awesome to see them grow into the business that they are today and just how they just keep reinventing themselves and pushing themselves to get more and more information. What it comes down to is, is Scope Now is a tool that you definitely need to use if you do social media investigations, any internet research, and really spending less time digging around and, and uh, looking for information I think it's one of the best points of how ScopeNow can help you. Their AI platform, their analytics are amazing. You really get an idea of what you need. You're reducing the time, you're reducing the manpower that you, you're spending on doing this research because they're essentially doing it for you and uh, they're doing it correctly, which is most important. One of the new things that they're actually offering is this flagging system where you can flag behaviors and really highlight and um, look out for fraud. If you're doing a lot of fraud research, uh, this is a fantastic tool and you can set up alerts so you have uh, particular people that you're looking at you can actually set up alerts to get notifications when the criteria that you set up is actually um, is flagged and goes off it's really uh, really amazing and their relationship and association analytics are uh, top-notch really uh, cutting edge and really really cool when they brought that out on version 3 it was a game changer. I mean, really being able to see how people interact together and, and uh, you know, having that relationship, you know, analysis is really, really something that's cool. You know, one of the other things about being involved with Scope Now is their ability to offer webinars. Their team is cutting edge on putting together and getting out really, really great content. If you're a member of Scope Now, if you know who they are, you've seen them around on LinkedIn, you'll, you'll know that they're constantly doing webinars on these new websites that are coming out and uh, they're really staying on top of it. And don't forget, uh, any reports that you generate, you can actually white label those reports and put your own logos on and, and really make them look professional, which you know could equate to more billing for you as well. So check them out today. It's uh, www.scopenow.com. They're a great, great company. They should be one of the tools in your toolbox, along with whatever kind of uh, search engines you do. Uh, you need to make sure that ScopeNow is a part of that suite. ScopeNow.com. Are you an investigative professional? Have you heard about the InvestigatorsToolbox.com? Check out this exclusive online community for networking, learning, and data resource management. The Toolbox is a one-stop shop for all your investigative needs. Check out our robust collection of forums, our comprehensive learning page, and our expansive library of OSINT research tools. We've just released an app for both iOS and Android, so you can access the site seamlessly right off your phone. We have also partnered with some amazing companies like Crosstracks, Delpoint, IRB, ScopeNow, the Hetherington Group, PI Magazine, PI Gear, Merlin Locate Services, Paravin, the PI Institute of Education, and so many more. They're offering over $1,250 worth of discounts and benefits exclusively to community members today. Use code PIP201836 and save 10% on your membership. 
That's www.investigators-toolbox.com. Welcome to Osmosis Quick Hits on PI Perspectives. We're going to take the next few weeks to highlight some of the speakers of the 2021 conference in San Diego, California. This week, we welcome keynote speaker Fred Burton. Fred has had an amazing career and got in at the ground floor with combating terrorism. His topic is the evolution of protective intelligence. You're going to love this episode. So let's welcome Fred Burton and your host, private investigator Matt Spare. And welcome, everybody, to this week's edition of Quick Hits PI Perspective. This is Matt Sperry, your host. We are focusing in on the Osmosis Conference that's uh, coming up in October in San Diego. Uh, we are really, really fortunate today to have our keynote speaker here, Fred Burton. Uh, Fred, I want to welcome you to the program. How are you? I'm doing fine, Matt. Thanks so much for having me on. Yeah, yeah. I think we spent probably about 30 minutes close to just chatting before we actually turned the cameras on. And I'm like, ah, I should probably turn the cameras on. Uh, wow, what a career you've had. Uh, tell folks a little bit about your background and how you got into this business. Oh, wow. Well, uh, it was a long time ago, but seems like yesterday at times, Matt. Uh, right. I started out as a uh, volunteer for my local rescue squad when I was 17. I actually spent more time doing that than I did going to high school. Uh, and um, it really kind of set the bug for me to, to do something in public safety or public service. So right. uh, we had a lot of our colleagues there that either went to the fire EMS service or the police service. So I, I started out uh, in the police uh, service and then uh, out in, in Montgomery County, Maryland, which is a little, uh, not so little anymore, but a suburb of Washington, D.C. Sure. And um, I eventually made my way to the federal service where I was a special agent with the State Department. And I was actually one of the first three counterterrorism agents that the State Department had. Wow. So, yeah, you know, Looking back on my career in that time period, Matt, you know, I, 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 I went from being a, a patrol cop taking burglary reports right. to investigating international acts of terror. And um, it was overwhelming. Yeah. And was, I was, was that um, being like the right place at the right time or you just really had a knack for this stuff? Oh, I'm not so sure I had a knack for this stuff. Matt, how many of us in this line of work uh, actually feel we ever have a knack for anything until right. we kind of get into the groove? But uh, uh, I was just randomly assigned from uh, special agent training into our uh, three-man uh, counterterrorism unit at the time okay. and uh, ended up staying there for almost 15 years. And I worked on uh, all of the embassy bombings, you know, throughout the 80s and the 90s, several hijackings, uh, political assassinations, plane crashes, right, uh, and attacks on diplomats uh, around the globe. Yeah, I did a really interesting interview last year uh, with a guy named Jim Ryan, who was involved in the Lockerbie uh, bombing with the FBI doing the investigations, and the recovery of like a, a, a small, insignificant, they thought at the time, piece of evidence. Uh, they held on to it for, for such a long time before they realized, like, oh, this is the smoking gun. Uh, it was really, really fascinating. 
Um, what kind of changes have you seen in the time that you've been doing all this work? Obviously, technology has gotten better, but what are some of the other things as far as like methodology or just things that you've noticed uh, while doing this type of work over the years? Well, Matt, remember when I started in the business in the 80s, the early 80s, uh, it, in essence, our database was three by five index cards. Mm-hmm. We had no cell phones. Uh, we literally did not have the internet. Uh, we had eventually a standalone uh, computer in our group, which nobody really knew how to work. So we spent most of our time typing reports, uh, literally on IBM Selectric typewriters. Wow. And uh, it was just a different era. And so as you look at the transition of the industry, it, it's night and day. When I, when I teach or I give talks and I get people that come up to me, hey, you know, I want to do what you did. I say, you really can't because it was a different era and a different generation right. on the lead up towards the first world trade center bombing, which I was involved with. And, you know, I've gotten way too much credit than I deserve, for example, for the capture of Ramsey Yosef, the mastermind of the first world trade center bombing. That was a, sure. a tremendous team effort, but you know, the world changed slowly uh, after the first world trade center bombing. We got a little bit better on intelligence sharing, not much, but a little bit better. Sure. Uh, we still had the walls up between the FBI, the CIA, and the intelligence community problems. There wasn't a lot of sharing with the local police or state police in any capacity. And then, of course, you know the events of 9-11 kind of sure. with the strategic strike by al-Qaeda in New York, yeah. Yeah. which uh, you know changed the world. So yeah. it, it really made terrorism a a national priority, which up until that point in time, it wasn't. So, you know, some of the innovations that you see are uh, software, uh, various investigative uh, databases to help you make sense of uh, the needles in the haystack, uh, software platforms to help you manage investigations. These are the kinds of things that never existed early on in my career. Yeah. And you know, it's, it's interesting. I remember when I was in college, um, John Jay college, you know, like I'm in the city and, um, great school. Yeah. 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 It's it, uh, the, the, the value of my degree keeps going up because the school's much better than when I was actually there. <laughs> so that's pretty cool. Uh, but one of the classes I had was a, uh, a, a class on terrorism and it, you know, the, the bombings, the first bombings actually happened while I was there, while I was in school. Um, I think it was in my second year or first year even. Um, so the, the, it started to change everything. But I remember uh, taking that terrorism class and studying uh, about the BCCI scandal, the banks, right? And how money was laundered. And that was like the new thing of, of funding these terrorism. And, and reading these books and just seeing the horror of, of how it's right on your back door. It's here, but you don't realize it's here as far as the funding goes and the, and the money. And now all bets are off. I mean, you've got cryptocurrency, you've got different ways to, for all this uh, stuff to happen. I can only imagine, you know, how you go about these days trying to put all this stuff together. And it's, it's a real wild west, right? Oh, without a doubt. I mean, as you were talking, I was thinking back to sitting in our three man office and, we had no ability to follow the money yeah. uh, in any capacity. You know, you certainly had organizations like uh, U.S. Treasury FinCEN mm-hmm. and um, 
the the agency of the CIA uh, did have a little bit of visibility at times. Uh, surprisingly, DEA in those days were doing a good job, I think, of uh, following the money as it pertains to narcotics in right. in places out of like Southeast Asia and so forth. Right. And, yep. You know, but the narcotics problem is is that kind of issue too that nobody really pays a lot of attention to, and DEA was just kind of off on their own, doing their running their own show at times. So, but you're right. Um, you know, the sophistication today, and you know, one of the things that we learned, which um, we really struggled with, was before the fall or the collapse of the Soviet Union, uh, we really didn't have a lot of visibility into the degree of nation state sponsors of terror. So, you know, once the wall fell and once we started getting access to some of the old KGB and Stasi files, then we were able to piece together that, hell, the Russians uh, at the time, well, before the wall fell, they they were supporting and funding a tremendous number of terrorist organizations, you know, to include those that had been operating inside the United States. Like, um, the Weather Underground and the Black Panther Party. Mm-hmm. And uh, we also had the Libyans with Gaddafi that was funding, you know, the likes of Carlos the Jackal and the Italian Red Brigades and the Red Army Faction and the Japanese Red Army. And the list just went on and on and on. Right, right. And uh, hey, listen, I mean, it's still going on these days and now allegedly elections and things, <laughs> things of that nature. You know, it's gone, but not forgotten, Right. Um, it, it's just, it's no. so, so amazing. Right. Yeah. You know, the one thing you learn in this business, or I learned, uh, the hard way is there really isn't any friendly intelligence services. And when you looked at the Russians during that time period, and it very much still exists today, a destabilized America is good for Russia yeah, and, and good for China. <laughs> exactly. So as chaos as we can have and as much kerosene as they can throw onto that fire domestically for us that just benefits russia and china and our nation state adversaries to include iran yep i mean that's how you knock superpowers down right you just create confusion internally and uh we're too busy you know trying to figure out you know what to do with facebook and uh, they're doing whatever they're doing on their end so yeah it's it's pretty crazy man um so uh the evolution of protective intelligence is the title of what you're going to be speaking about so tell me a little bit about what you plan to discuss uh, during your keynote first off i'm honored to uh be asked to do this especially to do the keynote and yeah. Not too long ago, I did an event for the State Department, uh, for OSAC. Uh, I I presented on kind of the evolution and the history of how we got here in the industry as it pertains to protection and physical security and some of the the changes that we've seen from a timeline perspective in modern history. And looking back, I'm still putting my final touches onto my talk, but uh, looking back in modern history and uh, talking about all the events and different circumstances which cause different shifts and changes in our collective business and industry. Right. And so uh, that's what I intend to do, uh, and hopefully it will be well-received. And, yeah. and I think it's important. I, I think it was uh, uh, Churchill that said, you know, the further back you look, the further ahead you can see. Sure. 
And I think at times in our business, it's important to understand these kinds of things. Yeah. And I think as we look at uh, all that we've been struggling with, with the pandemic over the past 18 months or so, that uh, this is one of these kinds of changing events or change agents that uh, will be forever with us in many ways. Yeah. And it gives us an opportunity to kind of reflect and to look on over the horizon as to what's next. Yeah. And that's why these conferences are so important, right? And, and you know, learning technology and the latest gadgets or the latest sites or, or the way to do things, that's really important, right? But I feel like, especially this year, methodology has really, really been the, the key forefront of, of um, what they've been pushing, right? Uh, learning how to do things properly. I mean, I can only imagine you had to have good methodology if you're working off the typewriters and index cards. <laughs> There's no magic button that's going to get you what you need, right? You actually got to do the gig. So uh, it's pretty amazing. Well, uh, I don't know how effective we were. It, it, <laughs> right. certainly, it certainly wasn't a, a efficient. Uh, Matt, I was talking to uh, uh, an old FBI agent who has subsequently passed away who who was instrumental in, as a and helping me with uh, one of my books involving the the murder of an Israeli intelligence officer in 1973. Mm-hmm. And he told me that he had never worked uh, a murder before, and he responds to the scene, and he said, all I could do was hearken back to my days at uh, Quantico at the FBI Academy and try to remember what they taught me. Right. So to buy some time, I just pulled out a Polaroid camera and a tape measure, and I just started taking pictures and starting measuring random things <laughs> till I kind of like collected my thoughts. And, you know, many in many ways, that was kind of my life story in uh, the 80s when I went out to look at some of these investigations. And not much changed from that time period in 1973 into the 80s we were still using uh, the same kinds of tools and technologies and uh, uh, information wasn't flowing like it is today on, on, you know, in the real time social media world that we're all living with today. It's crazy. Yeah. We were just talking before we started. So the, the day we're recording, this is the day after Irma went through New York. Right. And we were talking about, you know, just looking online and seeing the, the, the damage, you know, folks just getting the word out that, hey, the subways are underwater and, and things like that. It's it's crazy impressive of how quickly you can get this. And, and these these companies um, out there that provide this information, you know, I think the biggest one out there is, is Data Miner. Uh, you know, they supply that real-time uh, information to the news sources. But there are plenty of other good companies out there. Um, LifeRaft is another one. Uh, their navigator um, and EchoSec, I think, is another one that, that does this stuff. Like that kind of technology is pretty amazing. Where you've you've got these real time notifications that things are 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 going on or going down. Um, it, it's from an, an intelligence point of view, that's pretty amazing. That you know, as far as reaction and and getting uh, everybody mobilized, right? Oh, without a doubt. Uh, when you start looking at just the uh, life safety capability of some of these alerting services, I mean, yeah. heck, uh, we used to travel with a little Sony radio so we could yeah. pick up the BBC because they were always the ones that were reporting breaking news faster than anybody, even sure. the government. Yeah. And 
you know, because uh, the system, especially from a bureaucratic perspective, really wasn't set up for rapid alerts in any capacity. So, right. you know, these kinds of tech technological developments uh, in my lifetime have really been amazing when I look back at, you know, the ability to have everything that you possibly want in in one iPhone today yeah. Yeah. is something that I really couldn't have imagined, yeah. you know, as a kid growing up in the 50s and the 60s and and certainly, you know, working as an investigator in the in the eighties. Yeah. Well, there's plenty of things on there that we don't want either. Right. Like, uh, I don't like having a conversation with my wife about a, a couch. Then all of a sudden I'm getting all these <laughs> <laughs> ads on these, uh, brand new couches that are available. So, uh, no matter how many times you turn the listening off, the listing is always there. Right. Uh, the, the internet of things is, is killing us. <laughs> so, yeah, you know, one has to ask, you know, and, and there, it, it's really a, a very interesting aspect from an analytical perspective is, you know, how much more information do you really need to make a decision at times? Sure. And it's kind of a fascinating kind of topic to even game board or, or heck, you could do a PhD thesis on just that on alone. Sure. Uh, before it's just overwhelming to the point that um, you really can't make a decision because it becomes almost like this weight that's upon you because you're always waiting for additional information <laughs> to help you make sense of a problem. Too much data. <laughs> you're on overload. Right. Yeah. Right. I can exactly. see that. Yeah. I can see that being a problem. Um, so what do you um, hope that the the folks that are attending the conference, what do you hope they, um, they walk away with uh, after your talk? Well, I, I'm very hopeful that uh, folks will understand how we got here. Uh, also look out, on the horizon, uh, on some of the research data that uh, our Center for Protective Intelligence has put together on uh, current threat landscape, some of the trends that we're seeing, uh, some of the perceptions in the workplace as people continue to kind of drift back and forth into into offices, though it's been somewhat of a yo-yo, as we all know, over the past uh, six months and, uh, take away some, uh, topics that are thought provoking and interesting and, uh, hopefully engage individuals with, uh, conversations to, to help them make sense of, uh, all the challenges that we face in, in this profession today. Yeah. Yeah. And it's definitely not getting easier. Uh, there, there are a bunch of, Smart, bad people out there, smart, bad actors, right? Uh, and, and we almost have to really elevate and bring our, our A-game to it. Fred, this was awesome. This was really great. It's just a, a sneak peek. I feel like we could probably keep going, but I, I don't want to do it, man. I, I, I want people to come out and see you uh, at this. I, I want them to attend virtually uh, if they can't make it in person. Uh, it's October 10th through the 12th uh, in San Diego, a great location. Um, you know, Just getting out and being able to... Um, Network. That's the other um, benefit of, of this um, event is, you know, you're, you're meeting um, you know, the best of the business here. So we're going to close with, with one uh, uh, like silly question, right? If, if you were not doing what you were doing right now, if there was another Fred Burton that was out there walking around, what do you think he'd be doing right now? Matt, that's a great question. I know exactly what I'm going to be doing my next career aspiration is to be a park ranger. Fantastic. You're not the first guy to say outdoors. Uh, there were, there were a couple people last year that one, one guy wanted to just, he just wanted to go fishing. 
and he wanted to like <laughs> leave his phone like on the dock and just go fishing <laughs> you know that's a good one too yeah yeah it's pretty amazing uh so fred thank you so much for jumping on and giving us a sneak peek i really look forward to meeting you in person um and uh, wow you, you know even the conversations we had before we we started um you know, recording. I, I'm really looking forward to your chat, man. You really have a, have a wealth of knowledge. So thank you so much. Thank you so much, Matt. I really appreciate you having me on. Yeah. Thank you everyone for tuning in. Uh, we'll have a regular episode on Monday and uh, we'll definitely follow up with another quick hits the, the following Thursday. So everyone stay safe out there and uh, we'll catch you on the next show real soon. Thanks to Fred for being so candid about his experience. Great chat. Still thinking about osmosis? Now's the time to enroll if you haven't already. You can learn more about the event at osmosiscon.com. We also want to thank ScopeNow and Investigators Toolbox for sponsoring the episode. And have you checked out investigatorstoolbox.com yet? Make sure you look into this dynamic resource community for the investigative professional. Use code PIP201836 to save $20 when you join. And you can join through the app available on iOS and Android platforms. And if you have a question or a comment about the show, just email Matt at MatthewS at SatellitePI.com. He always responds. And you can also find him on LinkedIn, Instagram, and Facebook. That's how I found him. Or he found me. We'd like your feedback to bring you the best shows possible. And we'll be back on Monday with a new show. So make sure you tune in and stay safe out there.